Welcome back. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever or time night. you're listening. <laughs> Whatever you're listening. I'm Kelsey. I'm Bren. And this is Crime, Cults, and Coffee. Woohoo. I feel like we haven't introduced ourselves like that in a little while. I know, we keep forgetting. <laughs> Watch the episode before this one, we probably did, and just don't remember. And everyone's like, oh, what are these bitches talking about? <laughs> anyway. anyway. So, should we get started with our coffee review, or is there anything we want to talk about first? Well, we could talk about the giant fucking snowstorm we got. Yeah, if you haven't listened to our Snow Day Souffle <laughs> episode yet, go listen. Do it. Yeah. We got 30-ish inches. I yeah. think where you live, you got like 33, and then here was like 30-ish. Yeah. It was a lot. Yeah. And we're supposed to get more tomorrow. And it's still here. Like, none of this bullshit has melted. What the? No! 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 Kelsey, get it. There's a spider get climbing it. on the kill. wall. I can't kill it. Oh my god, I'm gonna throw up. Oh! oh. <laughs> okay, let's pause for a second. Hold on. What am I supposed to do? I'll just turn it off for a second. Alright. Kelsey just steamrolled the spider with <laughs> painter's tape. You missed... You, uh... You... You miss Bryn gagging, like, full on. Yeah, (laughs) I told you in the Snow Day Souffle episode, if you listened, she was just gagging. It happens, for real. I'm not kidding. My brother, Casey, always is like, you're so overdramatic, and I'm like, no, I can't (laughs) help it. Holy shit, that was funny. Okay. It wasn't that big, and then she's like, it's, it's huge. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, I'm like. Back to business. Yeah, I'm tearing. Sorry. (laughs) So, today's coffee, I'll talk for a little bit while Bryn breathes, is... <laughs> Thanks, Kelsey. I appreciate your support. You're welcome. Today's coffee is from Boxwood Coffee Roasters, and they sent us a bag, their Ethiopia bag. Delish. Um, it is really good. Yes. I'm excited. But we should talk about them a little bit first. So, their Ethiopia bag, before I get into that, mm-hmm. the, the notes of it are plum, strawberry, brown sugar, light floral. Yummy. Delicious. And it came as a whole bean. Yes. So, they sent us a nice little blurb to read. Yeah. So, I'm going to, this is all verbatim from them. We're a coffee... We're coffee roasters in northern Jersey with locations in Summit, Westfield, and Florham Park. We've been running since 2014 and have remained a family-run company with our owners, Erin and Stephen Bellamy, and their two delightful kids. Which I'm going to pause for a second and say, I am obsessed with the show The 100, and my favorite (laughs) character is Bellamy. So as soon as I saw her last name was Bellamy, I was like, She was like, their last name is Bellamy. I was like, wait, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, From the beginning, our focus has been on quality, community, and supporting our local area, and we take pride in being the heart of our communities, especially during the pandemic. Oh. Which I think is the sweetest I love family-run businesses. They're always so caring, and just, they care about detail, and they care about their customers. Yeah, and they look like a really awesome little family with their pictures on their website. Very, very cute. Love it. So... I'm just going to read a couple other different coffees that they have on their website that you can buy. Um, There's a Hill City Blend, and I'll read the notes in that one. This one sounds really good. It says, this coffee is a beautifully balanced medium roast that displays notes of pear, (gasps) grapefruit (gasps) zest, and honey sweetness. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And it says that the pour-over method is their favorite. Um, They also have a little about section on their website 
with different brewing techniques and like how to do them, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And the ones that they have are pour over, French press, AeroPress, and siphon. Um, so they kind of talk about different brewing techniques if you want to venture out from your Keurig. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of fun facts. Yeah. Another yeah. thing I wanted to point out that they had on their website, which I think is absolutely wonderful and beautiful and supportive and has a lot to do with, um, well, in a way, a lot to do with how we're covering this case today. Yeah. And things we wanted to mention during this case today. And they they made a really beautiful racial injustice statement on their website. Yeah. Do you want me to read it? It's kind of long, but... I think you should read it. I think it's... I think it, it needs Especially to be read. Especially for this month, and, you know, I think you should read it. Yeah. So, they said... This is a quote from Boxwood Coffee Roasters. Over the past couple of weeks, we have mourned the killing of George Floyd and the countless others that have lost their lives as a result of systemic racism. We are deeply troubled at the continuing incidents of racial prejudice and injustice that have taken place in this country and around the world. The question we've been trying to find the answer to is, what is our role in this? As business owners, citizens, and parents, how can we make a difference and be part of the solution? We know that it doesn't involve sitting idly on the sidelines, hoping the problem magically goes away. Silence is compliance. We are guilty of being too quiet, and we need to start making more noise as we continue to listen and learn about the history and the magnitude of discrimination facing people of color and what needs to be done to enact change now. As business owners, we have a responsibility to create a safe and inclusive working environment for all of our staff. As parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children how to love everyone, not in spite of their differences, but because of their differences, which is just so beautiful. That's amazing. As citizens, we have a responsibility to act and drive change to create a community and country that treats all people as equals, no matter the culture, the creed, or their identity. Sorry, it's like it's in a scroll form, so I'm trying (laughs) to get to the right slide. As an organization, we have taken the time to listen, learn, and understand that we will never fully understand. Continuing to educate ourselves among the multitude of fronts is critical. We can use our role within our communities and our voice to make an impact. We would like to start by donating 10% of the proceeds from every bag of coffee we sell to NAACP and other worthy organizations who fight to secure the political, educational, social, and economic equality of rights in order to eliminate race-based discrimination and ensure the health and well-being of all persons. We also plan to close our stores during the next local protest rally. Obviously, this was towards the beginning of all of that. Um, To allow our family and co-workers to participate and support the cause, which is amazing. I have chills right now. That is so amazing. Wow. We will continue to look for opportunities to encourage unity and diversity in our local community. Support this coffee. Yes, yes. Our hearts are warmed by the support shown by our growing community, making their voices heard, and giving power to the message that change must happen immediately. It gives us hope that these efforts are paving the way for a better future for our current and next generation, a generation that will be built on equality and justice. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I could go on and on about this coffee place because their website has so many opportunities of giving back and helping others for real for real they're so just like to the core giving people i feel here's a little are you done with that um there's just one slide left it says we will look back on this time as a pivotal period in history where the world said enough is enough oh wow that's 
I know. <sighs> I know. <clears throat> I love that they put that on their website, though. Here's another little blurb, which I think is amazing. It says, Coffee for Heroes. Boxwood Coffee is taking donations to provide fresh brewed coffee for brave frontline healthcare workers at various NJ hospitals and first responders. Thank you to everyone that has donated directly to Boxwood and indirectly through Flag Summit and Feed the Frontline Westfield. You can donate on their Venmo that's on their website as well. I've realized over this past year, I cry over fucking everything. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to cry about. Yeah, and I used to never be like that. Like, it took a lot for me to... Like, I internalize a lot. So I... Inside, I'd be screaming or, like, getting upset, but I would never do it outwardly, and I I cry, like, over everything nowadays. I mean, we also talk about really... Opening up, and it's okay, Really deep and brutal stuff, but... it's fine. I mean, 2021 probably kicked... Or 2020 probably kicked everybody in the ass, Yeah. And bouncing off of the Coffee for Heroes that you just told about, they actually have this thing called Quarantine Quiz Night. Which I'm doing (laughs) next. (laughs) And it says you could register your team for Boxwood's Quarantine Quiz Night on the second last Friday of every month from 6 to 8. It's held over Zoom, and the entry fee is donated to Coffee for Heroes. Doing it. 100% doing it. We're the team. <laughs> the dream team. Yeah. Crime Cults and Coffee. Yeah. Um, they also have an app on your phone where you could skip the line and order from your phone and just pick it up. Like a contact list um, like delivery as well during mm-hmm. the pandemic. So I feel like they're just really good about being very cautious about everything that's going on, you know, right now, especially with the pandemic and the racial injustice that we talked about earlier. I really, really, really like this coffee company. Same. And they obviously are very empathetic people. And like they said, they care about their community. Exactly. As well as just everyone in the world, it seems. So... Do you Should want to we talk, talk about <laughs> the actual coffee that we got today? Foxwood, <laughs> we think you're amazing. Yes, we could go on and on and on, but honestly, I just, we say it every time, but we're so lucky to be able to represent and, like, talk about places, these amazing coffee places that do these amazing things. We're so thankful. Yeah, we somehow are drawn to all the ones that have really good hearts and Maybe because we talk about horrible things on here, we have to have really good coffee shops. (laughs) And eco-friendly and everything else. They're just amazing all around. And just so everyone knows, their Instagram handle is boxwood underscore coffee. And are you on their site right now? Can you get the the, the address? Oh. No, their their website, yeah. Boxwoodcoffee.com. Awesome. All right, so what do you think about the coffee that we're drinking today from them? So I I really, really like this one. Um, like we mentioned, the notes were strawberry, plum, um, brown, sugar. brown sugar, and f- like a floral mm-hmm. um, note as well. I This is one of my favorite coffees. Again, I, I'm going <laughs> to give this like a really high rating because I like this one a lot. Again, we don't want to straight out be like, 10, 10 out of 10 coffee beans because, you know, we haven't tried all the coffee in the world. Right. We want to be able to have room for other, you know, coffees. And keep in mind, 
we drink I mean obviously we have a we have co- coffee to compare this to that we've had we've had a bunch so far and we've had a bunch throughout our lifetime because we're coffee lovers hell yeah but people do have different taste palettes so yeah. if you end up getting a coffee that we think is like an eight or a nine and you're like this and is you're like terrible. what the fuck are they thinking we might just have different palettes yeah <laughs> I think it's the notes that go along with Mm -hmm. the coffees. If the notes match well with your palate, then you're probably going to like it. Mm -hmm. If not, you're probably not going to like it. Mm -hmm. But I would probably rate this one a 7.5 to 8 Mm -hmm. out of 10 coffee beans. I really like this. I agree. I would say 7.5 or 8 because I also really like it. What do you taste? I definitely taste the fruitiness. Like, this this is a different kind of coffee. Right, it's not your neutral coffee that you know. Right, or your typical flavor like vanilla or whatever. Like, you could, it's fruity and you can kind of taste the florals, but I lean more towards the fruit. Like, I taste the a hint of strawberry, Mm -hmm. definitely, and I do taste the brown sugar. It's like a little sweetness. Mm -hmm. I love the sweetness in it. I immediately, and even when I smelled it, because it was whole beans and we ground them up, I can immediately smell the plum, and that's what I taste mm. first. Yeah. So good. I'm almost done with mine. Me too. Mine's it's getting cold, though. really, really <laughs> good. Yeah. But, uh, Boxwood, top notch. Thank you. Top notch. <laughs> we thank love it. Thank you so it. much. Thank and you thank so you much. for all that you're doing to give back to the community. It's so important, and we love businesses that are doing that. Mm-hmm. And fighting for <clears throat> the injustices of others, because yeah. that's very 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 important and once again once we go on our coffee tour we will be visiting you. yes as soon as the world opens back up again we are going into full-blown coffee tour mode maybe you know what we should do maybe we should visit like the local ish ones like one at a time and then build up the coffee tour for the really far ones <laughs> Like, sure, as long as I get to go to everyone I want to go to, I'm fine. Okay, we should, like, pick one a weekend and just make a trip and go to, like, the local-ish ones. Okay. okay. All right. And then make big trips for, like, the one we want to do in, in like, like, Arkansas, <laughs> California. Tennessee. <laughs> Seattle. Yeah. All right, so we should probably get started with this episode. Yeah, so grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Okay, so today's case, we just wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of where we're at right now with society and with um, racial injustice because this is Black History Month. Um, so we decided to choose a case with a victim that was African American um, and kind of talk a little bit about how it, you know, affected her and her family. Um, but. Yeah. Well, we've mentioned in the past, in past episodes, how the justice system and the media isn't always great with bringing attention to a case where people of color are involved or right. covering it the proper way or doing the proper kind of investigation. Mm-hmm. We're not saying that this is all the time, but it's it seems just, like it's most of the time. Yeah, it's a lot of the time. And we're hoping that things change right and like we fully don't understand the situation um just because we're white yeah and we never will fully understand but we're learning we're trying to learn yeah we're trying to educate ourselves on the right things to say and do in order to help because we don't want to be compliant right and but because of white privilege and not fully understanding yeah 
we want to make sure we're saying and doing the things that actually help. Right, and just know that we are allies and we are here to support in any way that we can. Yes, definitely. So we hope today's case shows the proper support towards a, a case regarding a person of color. Yeah. And her, you'll see throughout the case and her family has made statements agreeing that I personally think in this situation, the police force and the FBI did do a service to the family with the things they're trying to do to help this case move forward. They did a lot, and it was really quick. Yeah. We'll go over that. Yes. Um, So, let's get get started. started. Yeah. So, as always... And happy Black History Month! Woohoo! So, as always, we're going to start with a little background. Um, Today's case is about Alexis Tiara Murphy. She was born June 5th, 1996. At the time of her of the event that we're going to talk about, she was 17 years old. She lived in Nelson County, Virginia, um, also known as like the Shipman area. Her parents were Laura Murphy and Troy Brown. She was described as a happy and bubbly 17-year-old, just as every seven yeah. high schooler is at her age. Um She was a senior uh, in high school, and she had planned to go to college. She played volleyball in her school, and she had many friends. She was very social. She actually hoped to go to college on a volleyball scholarship, and she was the captain of her volleyball team, which was the Nelson Lady Govs, and she was very athletic. Yeah. I actually read, too, that she was going to be the captain, because I guess she was going into her senior year, because when all this happened, it was August, so it was right before. Yeah. Yeah. She liked shopping and going to the beach. Her favorite color was pink, and she was fashion-obsessed. She was constantly fussing over her hair. Mm. I know. I love that. She was afraid of the dark. She used Twitter as kind of an outlet. She tweeted a lot. A lot. Yeah, she expressed her thoughts through Twitter. Like, if you go on her Twitter account, you'll see she was on that thing posting. A lot. Like, ten posts a day. Like, yeah. she, the girl was just constantly expressing herself, which is awesome. awesome. We yeah. have the link for her Twitter as well. We'll put on her Facebook. She loves Starbucks. Everybody loves Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I love Starbucks. <laughs> and Kendrick Lamar. Uh, according to her family, her white iPhone 4 was her quote-unquote lifeline. <sighs> and here's a quote. It says, family members joked about how she would fall asleep with her phone in her hand. <laughs> And that Sounds was a quote from like a news advance A typical article. 17-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah, that was literally me. My dad used to be like, are you, is that thing glued to you? Like, yes. Um, some distinguishing characteristics or clothes that she was wearing. Was, uh, she had on a long sleeve burgundy or pink shirt, a leopard or floral, floral print spandex, which were like pants. I guess mm-hmm. you can call them leggings. They just described them as spandex. It's probably like, almost like workout leggings. Yeah. Um, brown boots and a dark gray purse that she was carrying. She's an African-American woman with brown eyes. Her right nostril was pierced and the right side of her upper lip was also pierced. She was so cute. Yeah, very, I mean, not that it it matters, but she was a very pretty girl. She was very pretty. Yeah. August 3rd, 2013, so this is when we're going to get into everything. Yes. Alexis left home to travel to Lynchburg, which is about 20 minutes away, and she actually mentioned this in her Twitter account. She said, and this is in quotations because this is exactly what she wrote on her Twitter account, 
Berg bound with like a little peace sign. When I saw that, I I was like, wait, Berg? And then I was like, oh my god, oh, Lynchburg. Lynchburg. Like she calls it the Berg. Yeah, because yeah, everyone says like Berg bound for like Pittsburgh. Yeah. Like, the Berg. Yeah. So I was like, wait. And I just love how I remember being like that in high school where like if I went anywhere, I posted it on my freaking MySpace. Yeah. Like, and you're oh, like, leave yeah. me a message, text or call. Yeah. <laughs> So, her mother, Laura, actually gave her money to get hair extensions, and she left home in her dad's car, and this is the last time that her family saw her. She was getting hair extensions for her senior portrait. That makes me really sad. Yeah. It's just, like, sickening. Like, she was just going about her life, just doing her thing. The best time of her life. Yeah. She was last seen by anyone at a Liberty gas station in Lovingston, Virginia, later on in the day of August 3rd. She was seen at the gas station driving a white 2003 Nissan Maxima, and Alexis's grandmother knew something was wrong when Alexis did not return home by midnight because she had a curfew, and she was, like, really good about being home on time and sticking to that curfew. Yeah. That's a good curfew, too. I'd be... I'd be Yeah, midnight? <laughs> at 17, I'd be like, oh, hell, like, yeah. hell yeah, midnight. Yeah, I'm not gonna fuck this up because then my curfew will be, like, 8 o'clock. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So, Laura, Alexis's mom, then called Alexis's father to let him know she never returned home, and he told her to call the police. And then we're on to the next day, which is August 4th, and right away, Nelson County Sheriff's Office begins investigating her disappearance. So, they weren't even like, oh, she could be a runaway, or oh, like, let's wait a little bit. They counted her as a missing person. Yeah, like, when we all know you can't just wait it out no. and waste those 48 hours, they those are the jumped most into it. Yeah. yeah. So props to you, Nelson County Sheriff's Office. I really, really, really appreciate all departments involved in this investigation because they, they jumped just, on yeah, shit. They yeah, did. yeah. So August 5th, 2013, Nelson County Sheriff's Office calls a news conference and announces that Alexis is missing. So this is two days later. They're holding a news conference already. Yeah. And multiple agencies start getting involved, including the FBI and Virginia State Police, and they begin searching for her. Amazing. August 6, 2013, between 8 and 9 p.m., Alexis's car was found just outside of Charlottesville city limits, and it was actually abandoned in the parking lot of the Carmike Cinema, which was off Gardens Boulevard in Albemarle County. Sorry. That's a tongue twister. (laughs) Albemarle. (laughs) And this was 39 miles north of the Liberty gas station that she was last seen at and only a half a mile from a consignment shop where she worked. And her hometown and where she was last seen were all within an hour or less from the cinema where her car was found. So to give everyone an idea. It was very close. Close in proximity. Yeah. It's not like she was you know, her car was found three hours away, and it was all close. It was mm-hmm. within an hour of each other. Right. So, security fam- security cameras <laughs> were not able to capture the person driving the vehicle because there was security footage found of this car being dropped off at the cinemas. Yeah. But it you couldn't see who was driving. Like, what is the point of having security cameras if you can't see them? Like, if you can't see the footage. I know. You know what I, I mean? I know. And we've said this before, like, 
CCTV, I feel like by now in 2021... It should be sharp. Yeah, it shouldn't be like their cameras from like the 1960s and they're yeah. grainy and the timestamp doesn't match up and they're all off like they always are. Like That shit should be able to tell what eye color the people You have. should be able to <laughs> zoom in tenfold on yeah. the person and the license plates. I mean, I get it. It's probably expensive as hell. I know, we're talking like we're te- like, like people who make these things. I know. I know. And everyone else is probably like, these girls are idiots. It's, <laughs> it's like $3,000 that a cinema is not going to put in there. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, you should. <laughs> yeah. So, dogs also traced a scent from the car to Arden Place Apartments off East Rio Road, which was less than a mile away. And FBI, the FBI issued a statewide bulletin seeking information on her disappearance. And yeah. literally, this was three days after she was missing. Yeah, yeah, and they're issuing a statewide bulletin. So... We'll talk a little bit about how that happened as well later, like, the help that they got from people to help get the word out. Yeah, and I think just that's already showing they're taking initiative in this case and doing the things that should be done, where, as we said, in most cases with people of color, you don't see that as much. Right. And law enforcement actually obtained a search warrant for a residence in Nelson County, but at this point, no names have been released or anything like that. Yeah. That we, the family, I guess, just knew that a search warrant was obtained. Right. And this is still pretty early on. Remember, she went missing August 3rd. That was the last time she was seen. And now we're on to August 7th, 2013. Alexis's family pleads for her safe return during a news conference held by the FBI. Trina Murphy, who is Alexis's aunt, said, quote, Alexis, if you're out there and you can hear us, just know your family loves you. My God, that, like, literally makes me want to cry because you think of, like, the cases where people are abducted and they're at home at the person's house that abducted them, maybe watching TV and seeing mm-hmm. their family. Mm-hmm. That's, like, my worst nightmare. That's awful. So Some sad. quotes from Alexis's mom and dad. It's I, I don't know when this article was or when this interview was, but it was a little bit later on um, in the case. It says that she was, um, that every day was a struggle. This is from her mom. She can't sleep. She can barely eat. Friends and family have moved into their home for comfort, but the one person she was hoping would walk through the door hasn't. That's so sad. This is also a quote from her mom. She said, she said, I'm going to be back before 12, and I told her I love you. Hmm. And then she also said, quote, it's hard, it's hard before it's, oh, sorry, that's supposed to be because. It's hard because it's my baby girl. I mean, she's my only girl. That makes me so sad. And this is a quote from her father, Troy. He said, I could be finding something out, searching. There is no time to sleep. The mind just wanders. Oh, my God. I'm at, like, I can only imagine it probably does. <sighs> like, you can't rest until you... Right, and at that point, it's only four days in, so you're not even, like... Like, you're still hoping that she could be alive somewhere. I mean, even 10 years later, you could you're hope, you could be hoping that she's alive yeah. somewhere. But you don't know where she is, what's happening to her, if she's alive, if she's dead. Wh- like, what happened? Yeah. If she's lost somewhere, like, you don't... They don't know. They don't know. So, August 8th, which, again, is five days after her disappearance, the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children adds Alexis's details to their website... Thank you for being on top of that. That was so quick. Yeah. A candlelit vigil is held on the Nelson County High School's football field for Alexis. Mm. The FBI confirms that her phone is not active uh, during this time. And officials release surveillance images of Alexis 
and the public learns that private property has been searched. And we'll talk about that a little bit more and whose property it was in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So now we're on to the actual investigation. Um, like we said, there was footage released, and it was gas station footage that showed Alexis at the gas station in Lovingston, which was the Liberty gas station, and a man holding the door open for Alexis. Mm-hmm. The man had a large neck tattoo and was driving a camo Chevrolet Suburban. And the neck tattoo was of Daffy, Daffy Duck, Duck, which is sickening. The footage, show, the footage showed Alexis driving in the car, and she was actually driving and following this man's car out of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Cell phone pings were also used to identify a suspect, a suspect during this time. They led investigators to an abandoned property across the Cannery Loop, which was along Route 29. Mm-hmm. So immediately they were, like, tracking her phone, where she went, which well, was amazing. Yeah, I mean, now we know it's off, yeah. but they could track it up to the point where, where it, it turned off. Last, yeah, right. yeah. So the property that they pulled up to, there was grass and weeds that were overgrown, and it was actually really even hard to see the house that was on the property because it was so overgrown. That keeps me out so much. I know. That's just so eerie. Creepy, yeah. yeah. There was also a camo suburban, which was of the suspect in the video um, at the gas station, and there was also a camper found on the property. The property was later announced to be owned by 48-year-old Randy Taylor. Mm-hmm. Inside the camper, investigators found an earring, a fingernail, and a long strand of hair, which DNA later confirmed to be all three uh, belonging to Alexis. Her DNA was on all three of those. That's, like, the fingernail. Struggle. Yeah, there was definitely a struggle. Like, she was... Her earring was out. Yeah, that... The fingernail just really bothers me because she was, like, really fighting whoever this person was. Yeah. Yeah. Randy, which is the man that the property that we're talking about, he owned the property. He also lived near a river. So, divers... And canines were also brought to search the area around the river. And a red sweater was found initially thought to be Alexis's, but it was later determined to not be hers. Mm. But they they really were searching. They were. They were stepping it up yeah. and doing what they needed to do. And this is just, this case is just an example of how things should go. Yeah. With I everybody, think. regardless of race, color. Religion, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, definitely the proper way to do things, considering no matter who's missing, sex workers, transgender, anything like that. Like, you shouldn't be slacking just because of who someone is to find them. Or they're not missed, like, they don't have people missing them. Yeah. Like, they they still deserve to be found. Yeah. Just awful. But in this, this is just a good example of... What to do. Yeah. So now we're on to August 10th, 2013. Police announced that they were trying to identify the person that was seen close to Alexis Murphy at the gas station where she was last seen. And FBI agents canvassed businesses on Angus Road in Charlottesville. And they went around basically trying to identify photos of people seen in the footage. So they were going business to business, like, do you know who this person is? Did that you was see seen her? close. What yeah. Happened? Yeah. Yeah. And then the FBI releases information to national media, thank you, for doing that, 
And on August 11th, the police name Randy Taylor as a suspect or a person of interest. Person of interest, yeah. Yeah. So then we're on to an interview with Randy because they obviously bring him in and start questioning him. Fucking scumbag. And he claimed that Alexis and a man named Damian Brown came into his camper to buy marijuana, which the marijuana, she did smoke, so the marijuana could be why she was there right with why or without the person him. yeah with right. or without the person he's claiming to have been with her right and i do just want to mention he didn't name this person damian brown initially he said that it was an african-american man with dreads mm-hmm. and later was found out to be damian brown for some reason he was not mentioning his name at first mm-hmm. it was just well there was man. also there was also contradiction because he he mentioned that someone... Did Damian Brown have dreads? Or he yeah, mentioned, he did. Okay, Damian Brown had dreads. I think he had said the person had braids. Because it contradicted with... Oh. If Damian Brown had dreads, the person he mentioned had braids. And oh. if the person he mentioned had dreads, Damian Brown yeah, had... Like, it didn't, it didn't fit. Mm-hmm. So, he then said that all three had some beer, and then Alexis and that man left. And investigators went back to the camper... And actually found more pieces of evidence. They found a bloody shirt that matched Alexis's DNA, black hair extensions, and fake eyelashes. That literally makes me want to throw up. Yeah. And I had read on a Reddit post, so I don't know how accurate it is, which was why I didn't put it in my notes. But mm-hmm. the bloody shirt was the shirt that he was wearing in the video. Okay. And apparently when the... FBI had searched his camper the first time like obviously they ripped everything apart and it it wasn't there the first time and then when they found it that time it said that that stuff like her extensions and her eyelashes were balled up in a ball in it under the couch and they said like in the reddit post the person said that they like asked him like where was this before or whatever and he was like that's not information I'm gonna talk about oh my god or something like that like so, clearly, he had involvement in it if it wasn't there, and then it was. Right, and it makes you feel like at that point, between the two searches of the camper, she was still alive. I don't know. Or he was just hiding evidence and then was like, oh, Planting I'm going to put it yeah. back here because they're going to check this place now or something right, like that. I don't know. Ugh. Yeah, so anyway, back to it. Later that evening, on August 11th, Randy Taylor was arrested at his home in the 10,000th block of Thomas Nelson Highway and charged with Alexis's abduction. And the next morning, his truck is, it well, it was taken into custody. Thank God. Yeah. So then we're on to August 13th, which is day 11 since her disappearance. Investigators tell ABC 13 that Randy was also seen on Liberty gas station surveillance cameras the night of Alexis's disappearance. Mm-hmm. So he was the man with the Daffy Duck tattoo yep. on his neck. And Randy appears in court for his arraignment. Then August 16th, which is day 14, since the disappearance of Alexis, an announcement was made that multiple cell phones were found during the search for Alexis. And they were still determining if any of them were hers. That makes me sick. Yeah. So the FBI actually sent it to an FBI laboratory in Quantico to go through the phones and... Determine who's yeah. what. Yeah. So... The, the phone, if it was hers, could be helpful in building a timeline. 
And this could be done through call or text history. Obviously, they could see, like, who she was talking to, texting last. Yeah. And then some phones, mostly smartphones, have a feature, probably all phones nowadays. I mean, this was in 2013. Right. It's probably now everybody's phone. Yeah. They have a feature called geotagging. And geotagging, basically, it embeds coordinates of where a photograph was taken within that image. Right. And if she's the type of person to be constantly, like, if you look at her Twitter, it's, there's videos of her and there's stuff. I feel like she would have been the person to, like, take pictures and... Like, you know. like, even if you were just texting a friend and you took a picture and sent it to them yeah. and were like, oh, look at this. Like, yeah. she definitely, I feel like she definitely was like that as right. well. So then August 22nd, which was day 20, Randy is denied bond. Yes. And his case is set to go before a grand jury on September 24th of that year. And then for some of these, I put days because I, I couldn't keep counting ahead. Yeah. I, I did for a little while. Day and I'm like, from... Yeah. And if we say day, it's just day from her disappearance. Yeah. Day since August 3rd. Yes. So, day 32, there was confirmation that one of the cell phones was Alexis's, and no information was released on where or when it was found. Yeah. And then, we're on to day 51. A new person of interest is announced, and this is the man that Randy said was the last person to see Alexis. And authorities were able to track him down, and he had a solid alibi, and he said he never even met Randy. Like, he didn't know who the fuck he was. Yeah. And Randy, at this point, is still the main suspect, but they did rule that guy out. Like, what did he do? Like, Google a random person? Like, I don't... How did he just name this random person? Maybe he knew of him because... of I mean... Like, through friends? Yeah, or, like, he knew that guy had somewhat of a criminal history whether it be bad or not and he was just like oh, i'm gonna pin on him or he knew maybe the guy was actually a, a weed like, like a, a weed, weed drug dealer de- yeah, yeah or a drug dealer in the area and he's like let me just pin it on him who knows Ugh. and i'm not saying that the guy was because i don't know anything about damian yeah, I brown i know about the guy we're going to talk about further down but i don't know about him so yeah i don't know he just he was just trying to pin it on him did you just scratch your face? Yeah. Okay. Fly. Because <laughs> it looks like there's like three lines right down your face and it looks Oh my like, god, stop. And it's creepy. So I wanted to make sure you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Not some like ghost that yeah. came and scratched my face. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, as of day 51, Randy is still the main suspect. Yes. Then we're on to September 24th, 2013, which is day 53. Randy was indicted on two felony charges. And September 29th, 2013, which is day 58, crews gathered a search for pieces of private... Well, I'm sorry. Crews gathered a search pieces of private property in Nelson County. So they're still continuing to look for Alexis or signs of Alexis anymore, things that she had on her, anything like that. Day 75, Nelson County Sheriff's Office asks hunters to be on the lookout for anything unusual quote, from a piece of clothing to a pile of dirt. So they're yeah. basically like, anything out of the ordinary... Let us know. Yeah. They just want to find Alexis. Yeah. Day 82, Randy pleads not guilty, and his trial date is actually set for fe- February 3rd, and the Commonwealth's attorney announces plans to call 50 witnesses to the stand. Amazing. So they are, like we said, on their shit. To find 50 witnesses, that's amazing. Yeah. And I actually heard that one of the wit. Actually, no, I'll mention it later on because okay. I don't want to give anything away that happened. So, 
January 2014, Randy was indicted on the charges of first-degree murder, first-degree felony murder, and abduction with intent to defile, as well as unrelated grand larceny charges. Hell yeah. Yeah. So that was in January. His trial um, started on May 1st of 2014, which was the same year. Mm -hmm. The grand jury selection took eight hours to complete, and the judge was Judge Michael Gamble. And he actually issued a gag order for this case, which is really important, I think. Mm -hmm. And a little definition of a gag order, in case you didn't know, is... It's an order by a judge or court that the people involved in the legal legal case cannot talk about the case or anything related to it in public. So, like, the jury can't talk about it. Obviously, the lawyers can't. Like, it's just nobody mm-hmm. was allowed to talk about the case outside of the courtroom. The people involved can't go to their friends and be like, oh, say I was... Right. Say you were here and I was here and you were doing this. Which was, was so important, I think, with this mm-hmm. case as well. Mm-hmm. He pleaded not guilty to the charges we had talked about, and again, they were first-degree murder first-degree felony murder, and an abduction with intent to defile. Mm. The gas station cashier had testified that she saw Alexis Murphy walk back toward her car, pausing for several several minutes to talk with Randy. So she did have somewhat of a conversation with him. Yeah, whether And he held be, the door open for her. Right. Like, whether it be that it was planned that they made up, met up, or he... I don't know. Mm-hmm. You, know you don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll add in here mm-hmm. um, another thing I had read on Reddit, and it was apparently from the person who was called as a witness, mm-hmm. but obviously we have to take that with a grain of salt, Yeah, was that when he, if Randy did this, when he dropped her car off at the cinema to leave it there, afterwards he went to a porn shop, oh. which is just so skin crawly and they found they found receipts from this porn shop proving he was there and the person that was called forward to testify as a witness was the worker at the porn shop but that's just like that's just so disturbing and like we had also found in an article before we started recording today that he the they had found picture pornographic images in this man's Ugh. camper with pictures of women from the town he lived in he was targeting taped their faces taped onto the these pornographic, pornographic images he was targeting these women or, he was stalking them or just really like sick sick and like t- twisted and was picturing the those random women like that, which is just disturbing in itself. Could you even imagine to be, like, named as one of the people that your pictures was was in there? Like, knowing they that somebody... They probably didn't even tell them. Oh, I hope not. I hope not, because that's actually horrifying. Yeah, it's like, you're living your life, you don't even know who this man is, and your face is taped onto and a picture. And that's the creepiest thing about, like, some serial killers and stalkers out there. They know everything about your life, and you have no idea that they even exist. Yeah. That is the most... Like, one of the most frightening things ever yeah. to me. Like, that, like, be, that, people like BTK. Like that. I think that's why BTK, like, disturbs yeah. me to my core because he was, he was, and he had, like, he was planning these things for months and he had the restraint to plan these things for months. Like, he Without, wasn't an impulsive right. killer. Not that it makes a difference how you're kill like how you kill someone or your mindset behind it because you're you're murdering someone you're taking someone's life mm-hmm. but the fact that 
you're not just impulsively doing this where you can't help yourself. Like, you're, like, sitting back and planning for months on end and taking the time. Like, that's so disturbing. Right. So, getting back to it, um, May 1st, as I said, was the beginning of his trial. So, now we're on to May 8th, which was only seven days later. Randy was found guilty. Woohoo! Yeah! Fuck you, Randy. At his sentencing hearing, he claimed this part pisses me off. Uh-huh. That he would reveal the location of Alexis's body in exchange for a shorter fucking sentence. Fuck. That is so taunting and disgusting to her family. And that right there, I'm sorry, proves you fucking did it. Yeah. If you're willing to say where her body is, you did it. Yeah. Why else would you say that? Even if you didn't, even if you're not going to tell them and you're going to lie about it and lead them somewhere else, you're, you know you're that admitting you did it. Yeah. Yeah. This offer was declined, and he was sentenced then to two life sentences in prison. Which had to have been also a lot for her family to have to decline that offer. And make that decision. Yeah, because they would rather see him and, like, rot in jail and know that he's going to stay there than than have him possibly tell where her body is buried. But... At the same time, maybe they're thinking, oh, he might lie about it anyway. Right. But so, I don't under- I don't understand why. Someone explain this. Again, someone who's involved in this kind of profession explained to me, why can't you just lie to these fucking people and say you're going to make a deal and have them tell you where the body is and then don't hold it up? I know. Make some kind of clause where... Well, probably because they can then go back and sue, like, the justice system and ask for, like, a retrial at that they're point. They're fucking murderers. Who I know. cares? I know. Trust me, I Or agree. make some kind of, like, little clause where they won't... Like, lawyer. I mean, enough people do this all the time when lawyers get involved with stuff. You add something in that the person... Does, like, what they should about it! What I would have done if he came to me and I was the judge, I would have been like, okay... If you tell me where her body is, you won't get two life sentences. You'll just get one. And then mm-hmm. he's in prison anyway for the rest of his life. Well, life sentence yeah, doesn't mean for life, though. I know. But what if, like, they made some kind of clause where if he told them where her body was and they went there and she wasn't there, more, like, tons more shit is tacked on. To his sentence. To make him, like, want to tell where she actually is or not lie about it. Or, like, can't you put in some kind of, like, clause where, I've heard this in a case before where they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to give you this deal, and then the person doesn't, and they're like, actually, no. Yeah. I don't know. Can't they just do that? The person's a fucking murderer. I don't know. They don't deserve any rights at that point. Let us know. (laughs) Please. We're curious. And heated. So... That was the end of this trial, but Randy was also a suspect in the disappearance of a a woman named Samantha Clark. Which is a whole case on its own. Yeah, it's a different story, but Mm -hmm. just know that he was also a suspect in her disappearance. Mm -hmm. So now, that was in May, we'll jump forward to October of the same year. Remains of a woman named Hannah Graham were discovered, and Randy Taylor requested that the authorities perform a DNA test on Jesse Matthew Jr., so basically, he was trying to pin this woman's disappearance on Jesse Matthew Jr. and then connect it to the disappearance of Alexis Murphy to get him off the hook. Yeah, so it's like, okay, let me try blaming this on Damian Brown, right? Was his last name Brown? Now I feel like an asshole. I think it was. Yeah, it was. 
Okay, let me try pinning this on Damien. Mm-hmm. Now, let me say, oh, I'll tell you where her body is if you give me a better and then sentence. Try to pin it and on then try to else. pin it on Jesse Matthew Jr., who yeah. is also a piece of shit, but... But, but just trying no. to get out of it. So, a quote says, Taylor's lawyer alleged that because Matthew had been linked to several disappearances, including Morgan Dana Harrington, that he could have been responsible for Murphy's disappearance as well. And that was a quote from Wikipedia. But, again, he was just trying to to pin this, her disappearance, on Jesse Matthew Jr. because he was a suspect in other disappearances in the area. That's not how it fucking works, sir. No. There was speculation that of the involvement of Matthew, who had a, who was abduction, who has abduction, attempted murder, and sexual assault charges from some of the public as well. So, so this man ha- does have charges of his own. Yeah, but, but it's not, it's not connected. Y- you yeah. did it, you fucking weirdo. Yeah, with your fucking Daffy Duck tattoo. <laughs> Sorry if you have a Daffy Duck tattoo. I, lo- I like Looney Tunes, but not on the neck not of a murderer, murderer. Yeah. Who murdered a 17-year-old child. Yeah. Nelson County Commonwealth's attorney, Anthony Martin, stated that there was no evidence that Matthew was connected to Mur- Murphy's disappearance, and he was ruled out as a suspect. <laughs> because you have the person that abducted her in prison already. <laughs> yeah. Like, how are you going to explain... The balled-up shirt, eyelashes, and hair extensions with her blood on it under your couch if this other man did it. Jesse Matthew came to my camper. I watched him. I was outside. I was at the gas station actually getting my late-night cigs, and he came into my house and stuffed it under my couch, and that's why you guys didn't find it the first time, because he he was holding on to it, and then... This man's a fucking idiot. Yeah. He's really fucking stupid. Yeah. So... Now we're on to December 2014. Randy filed an appeal. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> Claiming unfair trial and poor representation. Boo fucking who? You cannot have poor representation when you're a stupid idiot who murdered someone and left the evidence everywhere. Right. And you're on video, you're on CCTV. So anyway. May 2015, his appeal was denied, (laughs) and he tried to file for a second appeal now with the Supreme Court of Virginia, which can take a while, so who knows when that's also going to be denied. (laughs) Yeah, really. And as we mentioned, Alexis's body has still not been found. Which is just horrible for her family. Like, if you're going to abduct and murder somebody the least you can do is let the family know where her body is so they can give it a proper burial yeah like you're holding on to that just to torture them even more what what do you get out of that what satisfaction do you get i know that's just unless you're like a sadist and you're like you're like you're just that much of a sick human being and like getting off on that i mean i don't know that's just so sad yeah just i feel so bad for alexis and her family I do, too. But we do have a little something happy regarding this case. Right. Happiness that's come out of this tragedy. Right. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of Bianca's case. I agree. Right? I thought of that as soon as I read yeah. the stuff we're about to talk about. Yeah. So Alexis's family annually awards an Alexis Murphy scholarship to one or two senior girls graduating from Nelson County High School, which is Alexis's high school. Mm-hmm. 
And her family also participates in campaigns and helps with other organizations that aim to raise awareness of the dangers that young women face. And there's a Roanoke-based Help Save the Next Girl, which they're, they're very heavily involved in Help Save the Next Girl, which I'll talk about a little bit in a, in a minute. Nelson County High School, which was her high school, as I mentioned, has also started a chapter of Help Save the Next Girl, which is just yeah. amazing that they're really trying to use this tragedy as a platform to help other people. To prevent more yeah. tragedy. So Help Save the Next Girl was started by Jill. I, it, uh, I don't know if it's Jill or Gill. Probably should have looked that yeah. up. I'm thinking Jill. That's okay. Jill Harrington. And she reached out to Laura Murphy and helped get the word out about Alexis. Because of this, within 48 hours, Alexis's disappearance made national news, so it really helped bring attention to it. Yeah, they help, basically they help people that have, you know, a missing child or somebody that is missing to get, like, the word out to different news stations and all the outlets that could possibly help spread the word. Yeah, it draws attention to missing person cases and urges people to, like, be careful and cautious of their surroundings. Which is awesome. So, this woman, Jill, her daughter, Morgan, had actually disappeared in 2009. Yeah, so that's what kind of, like, the inspiration for this... Help save the next girl. It kind of... It helped her get that out there. Right. And her family is also really inspired by Alexis and her last Facebook post, which was, quote, keep hope alive. So that's... Like, like, how ironic. I know. That's their main thing that they said they basically revolve this whole movement of Alexis around is keep hope alive, which has to also be helpful to them, though, because they're trying to do that because they still don't have her yet. Right. They don't have her body yet. Yeah. Virginia State Crime Commission interviewed Trina Murphy, who, again, was Alexis's aunt, Um, for its report on, quote, the ability of multiple law enforcement agencies to deploy quickly and cohesively in cases involving missing, endangered, or abducted victims. Mm -hmm. Angela Taylor, who was also Alexis's aunt, said, quote, I definitely don't think we would have had, we would have made progress in working with other organizations if we didn't have that hope and faith. That all stems from Alexis and the posts that she had made. Mm -hmm. This is what keeps us going, is keeping the hope alive. That breaks my heart, but it's, like, beautiful at the same time. I know. Like, it was meant to have, it was meant to happen with the post Mm -hmm. before all this went down. Mm -hmm. Angela Taylor, again, um, said that the FBI and local law enforcement are, quote, still actively pursuing trying to find her, and the family is in constant contact with them, which is As it should be. Again, every single law enforcement agency that was involved in this case did their job, and this is how it should be done. Right. Especially for people of color. For everybody. Yeah, I mean, but because they haven't had that in the past, Mm -hmm. it, it should be done this way, and the fact that Another thing on top of them doing the right thing and working the right way for her case that in most cases, I think from what we've seen and read about, when the FBI gets involved or when different 
districts get involved. It's like, uh, how do I word it? It's like a who has the bigger whatever, you know what I mean? And they're all fighting for the case and who wants to solve it and no, this is my jurisdiction and Mm -hmm. no, like who can do this better kind of thing and they're keeping information and they're not releasing information and they're not sharing information with each other, which as we've seen in a lot of cases is a big freaking issue and why cases aren't solved as quickly as they can be because thing is not, things are not shared between jurisdictions. Right, and they don't help each yeah, other. Yeah, and I feel like in this case, not only are they still trying to find her, talking to the family, keeping the family updated, keeping the family a part of the investigation as they should be, mm-hmm. they're working together in a way you usually don't see, like, in for, like different... Um, I'm losing my thought. Different Different departments. Yeah, different departments working together. Yeah. Which is, like, everyone needs to take notice of this and do it the fucking right way. I know. To help, it's it's really just to help the family and to help get justice for the person. Yeah. Um, So, Alexis Murphy was the News and Advances Person of the Year for the year of 2014. So, now I'll get into... um, if, if you have any information about Alexis's disappearance, you can call the Nelson County Sheriff's Office at, their phone number is 434-263-7050. Any information at all. Mm-hmm. Just to help, you know, continue the search for her, for her body. Alexis, uh, also, there's a Facebook page. It's called Help Find Alexis Murphy. Mm-hmm. And we'll put a link to that. Um, I think the most recent post was 2017, but um, it does have a lot of good information on that Facebook page as well. Mm-hmm. And her Twitter, we will link as well, because we, like we talked about, she used it all the time. There's videos of her um, talking, you know, saying different things in all of her tweets that we talked about. So we'll put that link if you want to go check out her Twitter as well. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the time, too, it's hard to... Like, you listen to these cases, and until you put a picture to that person... It makes it more personal. Yeah, but especially, like, with hers, there's videos, and you see her talking, and you see her joking around and dancing and stuff, and it makes it much more personable. I know, and you... I don't know. It just makes it so much more real whenever you see a video of them, Mm -hmm. of the person. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the end of her case... We hope um, we did it justice. Yeah, I mean, it was good that we ended on a happy note there, mm-hmm. as, as horrible as this case was. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really want, I think about families all the time that don't have all the answers. Like, that's, it's just horrible. Yeah, it's not right. Uh, the situation in general should never happen. And then when a family is left with more questions than answers, I feel like it's it, it's just even more awful that, they don't have that and that they still don't have Alexis and can't give her a proper burial and right and know where she is that's just that's just not okay it's horrible yeah do you have anything else to add um again happy black history month yes and we're here for you yes and we support everyone that no matter yeah if if you are a bigot or against people's gender, race, color, anything like that, please don't listen to our podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> we don't need your <laughs> No, we don't need it. We no, don't want, want it. it. Yeah. And I don't know. Is there anything else to add? I don't think so. Again, we still have some t-shirts left. If you want to buy a t-shirt, mm-hmm. let us know what you want. We have the splatter. Um, we have the tie-dye. And just the plain black with the pocket of our logo on we it. We have our stickies. Yeah, we have stickies. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and we also still have people who have left us left us a review who have not told us who they are for us to give them a sticker. So. Teats. Yeah. <laughs> Teats. <laughs> Pow Puff. And I don't remember the last one. And Let again, Yeah. And again, thank you to the people who have been donating to our anchor Fun. It's just so supportive. And, yeah. We can't even tell you how much we appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Because we love doing this. Yeah. And it, and just in general, the people who have been listening, mm-hmm. we appreciate you listening to us Very every supportive. Week. Yeah. I think that's it. All right. Well, we will hear from you next week. Well, yeah. You'll hear from us because we don't talk to you. Oh, also, <laughs> let us know if you liked our snow day souffle episode and want us to randomly do another one where we're drinking wine instead of coffee or maybe whiskey next time and i think that might be a fun one the whiskey wh- whiskey wednesday maybe mm. let us know and also if you want to come on and talk about your spooky story do it do it we, we want to hear more we love it yeah okay all right till next, next time week. see ya Bye. information regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook